Try to finish that off. I can't see you get it right. We'll work on that. Uh, trying to finish that section of biblical theology of marriage. And um, I think what is interesting about this is that um, You know, some uh, a relationship for that is that this class is called Family Life, and that that's always a soft spot for us. No matter what we do, uh, it's a tender place in our life as Christians that everything can be flying high, and all of a sudden something in the family goes wrong, mm-hmm. and then you're you're wounded fast, I and mean, you can be injured really fast uh, in those areas. And so, marriage is one of those soft spots. Even if the marriage is not exactly the way it should be. Those complicated things that, that happened, like her brother, that was, I mean, it's devastating. It's devastating. You, on this side, we say, wow, poor, that's terrible theologically that it's, um, there's a big burp in the processes relationship. But, boy, on that side of it, it's, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. It's brutal because you're lonely. You start blaming yourself. There's a lot of problems that, that come out of that. And it's just, if you don't have the Lord, I don't know how you make it. We, we really didn't make it until we had the Lord and reconciling. So um, this, you know, the, the very foundation of marriage and biblical theology of marriage has been good for me because it takes you right back to the very foundation of what's going on. So today I made a couple things that were a little more practical. I made a new handout. If you had one from last week, you could use it. But I made a new handout this week that I would just talk some practical things through as we talk about the curse. This is the final portion of the curse uh, in Genesis, the third chapter. So let's read through uh, Genesis, the third chapter through verse, we'll start in 16, and that's the, that's the hot button of Genesis 3, basically. Uh, and let's read that all the way through 24. We'd like to maybe we'll break this up, 16 through 19, then 20 through 24. Okay, Dave, for that. First part? First part, yeah. Yeah, and who's doing 20? You want to do that, Mark? Do 24? Okay, let's follow along. Genesis 3, uh, starting in 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out 
take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Yeah, this, um, again, it's good to cover that again, but in just a review, remember the, the woman, the, uh, the curse uh, is that you will desire your husband. Now the childbearing, the pain he'll bring forth and uh, bearing children is part of it. But the other one is that you'll desire your uh, for your husband that's not sexual. We <coughs> John MacArthur had a great message on that. If you ever had a chance to listen to a sermon on Genesis 3, it's amazing. Uh, but he, he um, reassures you that a woman is already said to go and, and bear fruit and multiply. And so she already has a desire for her husband. He said, so this is not a curse. Uh, so it had to be for um, power and position to undermine him and then and in return, the husband then rules harshly because his his fallenness over her, and, um, and that was sort of our review when we were going through the process, and then how difficult in our first couple parts of that cure, and then we talked about sin corrupts a more uh, good marital order that God had, the parameters that God had placed around uh, marriage. We also talked about uh, spouses are sinful and they're part of the failing parts of the process of that as well. And um, and so it puts us into a sort of a quandary when it comes to, okay, so what? how can we make this? How's this going to happen then? Well, this is where we transition now in verse uh, 21 through 24. Uh, we're actually starting to transition from the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And this was a, an act of God's mercy, his great mercy. And so we're, the assumption is we have mercy on Adam and Eve, he had mercy on that, that situation, he'll have mercy on mankind uh, and marriage in that relationships all the time. It's just we, we don't capitalize on that. We'll talk more about that in a few seconds. But So let's talk about this great mercy of God. And we notice that verse 20, he clothed them. And uh, so God recognizes shame comes about with this process because of sin, and he shows mercy. Now, they clothed themselves, but that wasn't good enough. He clothed them, okay? They ran to cover themselves with fig leaves and and stuff and, and their own way, and we do the same thing. We're hurt, we're wounded, we run, and we independently do our thing to try to cover what we need to cover. Some people do that through substance abuse, changing relationships. There, there are all kinds of lies they respond to, but but God, in his mercy, made a provision to cover this sin, to help us in, in this process. And it sort of lays the groundwork for where the gospel is coming into play here. So in response, God immediately shows mercy. And, and he helps them get back on track. And eventually we see in verse 15, uh, where you see where show, uh, we see this delayed mercy where God promises to crush, uh, to crush Satan's head. We saw that. And so that's where the gospel sort of comes in, in play here. On one side of the cross, um, you know, the seed of Christ. On the other side, we see Christ defeats death and dying by his substitution. Now, that's that's really the very beginning of, of this thing. This is where, where it's happening. And so for some reason, in the mix of all those things that are happening in real time, he interjects a prophecy right there in the middle of that and, and reminds us that 
that this is the, the real answer. Now, we don't see that sometimes. Sometimes we don't see the obvious spiritually. When we're suffering in our deepest time in our marriages, we're, we're conflicted. Where there's challenges, the cross is always a lot. And so sometimes, and it doesn't look like it would be interjected there, but all of a sudden he starts dropping this prophecy in there. And that's supposed to have real, long-lasting help. That's supposed to be the ultimate solution. Uh, but again, we have to see that play out in history. But in our life, we have the book. So we know the story. And so, right here in the midst of the very first chapter, we see the gospel come alive. So when we're struggling with sin in our marriage, what do we do? When we fight for sin, we repent of it, we put it off, we do all the right things, we uh, do everything to keep our marriage alive when we can. But we need to spend some time thinking about the cross. And I'm going to challenge you on a couple of these areas here as we close this chapter on 2 and 3 of Genesis. Now, the section here on contrasting uh, the typical response, typically when there's crisis in your marriage or there's a problem in, in the marriage, in case of this case here, with Adam and Eve, we're um, in turmoil, of course, in fear, running and very scared that things are happening. In our case, when there's crisis uh, in marriage, we sort of the typical response, and I have some of these things for filling a blank here. Um, the first one was we learned to take your marital sin to the cross. If you see that, I don't know if that's on your paper. Mm, it is. But the first one is we're punish. We want to do the first typical response would be to punish in penance. Punish in penance. Now this is the edemic way of doing it. This is not the Christ way of doing it. This is the edemic way. Punish in penance. Where we want our spouse to pay for their sin. We don't say it sometimes, but, but we we function that way. So we have a spoken theology and we have a functional theology. And the functional theology reflects what we really believe about God. That's the difference. We give too much credence and credibility to our spoken theology when it's our functional theology that identifies who we really are. Because who we are in secret is who we really are to God. And so our, our we function, I, I see this a lot in the 22 years of counseling. I've, I've seen a lot of people punishing their spouses on penance when I'm seeing the great sacrifice of Christ on the cross that already died for that sin. It's just crazy. But we have to sort of process that. Let's, let's kind of flesh that out a little bit. And so <clears throat> we make our spouse pay for these things by claiming that they're blowing up uh, until they learn their lesson. We're going to teach them some stuff. And this is sort of a penance approach. Or the response to that could be penance. For instance, a guy saying, she just wants to forgive me. She wants to do the right thing biblically. Just wants to take it to the cross and forgive me. But I really need to pay this back. And they, they punish themselves over and over again using penance. And they don't realize that it's not a, it's not a worthy deed. And it's not a worthy uh, um, track to, to uh, be forgiven and restored. Because Christ paid so much. I had an uh, a opportunity to share with a... A guy in counseling last week, and <clears throat> he was always reliving these old incidents of his past. I mean, he had some wretched experiences, like uh, seven years old, if he if he messed up and disobeyed his mom, or went outside and he wasn't supposed to, or beat up his brother and sister. They would give him cocaine, let him get high, some punishment. He was living in a drug house, 
So, I mean, he has all these experiences, and so I said, okay, so tell me clearly what your, your, your Christ intervention, where, where Christ came into your life, where the gospel changed you, and he showed me clearly. I said, then you have to understand then, then you have the power to not live in that anymore. And so we, we kind of relived all that and said, every time you dig up the past, you bring down the cross. That Christ, the blood on the cross, was minimized every time we maximized these things that he died for. Because he clearly listed all the things that he had sinned up to 19. That's when he became a Christian. And, uh, and all those things we had talked about, he, he, um, he said, yeah, I can see what you're saying. I said, well, every time you make a bigger deal out of that, that Christ died, it's a sin. And we see it. We take, we take ownership. But all that was paid for on the cross. cross he died for that. So every time we sneak across to go back in our past and relive something, we're, we're really saying that the cross wasn't enough to pay for it. The same thing here in penance. So sometimes we function more sophisticated. We sort of provide a quiet time. And your sheet is called uh, the silent treatment. On number two there, under the contrast, the typical response. So our, our response is a functional, you know, kind of seething, we're angry, but we give them a silent treatment as part of a typical response rather than the cross. Or we place the, as a guilt machine, that's number three. The guilt machine that makes restitution for a long time. We, we want to make sure that we're going to make them feel bad for years and years to come. And I, I counsel people that after 45 years of a 50-year marriage, He's had to live under the guilt and regret over and over again of what he did um, five years into his marriage. Um, and so the cross then is minimized over and over again. And finally, uh, the ways to make them pay in judgment, in judgment. We don't say that, but functionally we're, we're saying we're the, um, we're the Supreme Court here. Oh, I know, I'll say God is the Supreme Court, and that's how I'm getting in trouble. But when I go home... My wife or my husband is going to pay for this. And so we give lip service, some religious lip service, and superficially sort of follow the, the rules of forgiving. But, um, but we just have to drag them into our own court of law. Now that sounds terrible, but I'm going to tell you something. This is, this is a functional way we can kind of default in dealing with marital crisis when we're not thinking of the gospel constantly. Um, we had last yesterday. Was it yesterday we did the the gospel? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we we sort of watched what uh, Paul Washer and all these guys were saying. It was just like it was like an epiphany, even for me again after teaching so many times. It was like, wow, it's the gospel that's yeah. just driving everything. Mm -hmm. It's the gospel that has all the power. It's the gospel that frees us, that gives us the power to forgive, to have grace have love to respond to restore I mean it's the gospel that's driving everything and we I mean I sort of came out of it and I was like wow that was, it's more than just being prepared to share the gospel I don't know if we understand that the gospel's doing so much it's wow it's amazing and we sort of don't tap into it it's like being related it's like you you have a billion dollars in the bank account but you just keep cutting coupons and trying to get by at the dollar store um, and the, the gospel has so much to give us in our marriage, in our lives, in our Christian walk that has so much power when we're, when we're stepping out in faith and obedience that it's just incredible. And so 
long term, I think um, I wanted to cover some of these long term marital conflict is usually founded in misunderstanding. There's some two things you want to see. <clears throat> Last time, this, the gospel, we say we all love the gospel, we all believe the gospel, and our spoken theology says the gospel is everything, and Christ on the cross provided everything for the church. We say that. But you have to work against your unbelief and the functional theology of the cross in your own marriage. You have to work against what you functionally do. You have to you functionally do the right thing when it comes to the cross. This is what, so we're going to kind of talk about this. Here's, here's some misunderstandings or misappropriation of the cross. Here's some things. People are usually praying for healing in their marriages. Uh, but God wants <clears throat> reconciliation. So people are praying for healing in marriages, and God wants reconciliation. So I know it's a matter of terms, and there's sometimes those synonymous that we can use those terms that way. But the truth of the matter is, when we use healing in, in the scripture, it's a supernatural intervention. So healing is a supernatural intervention. We say we want somebody's arm to be healed because we want a physical, supernatural intervention. But this is the reason why it's so critical to call what God calls it so we can get what God gives it. So we have to be careful what we ask for in our prayer time. Sometimes, can you tell me of our prayers are just blown off? Because you're praying for something, it'd be like my kid goes to college, I gave him a car, keeps calling me every week and asking me for a car for college. And he drove away in the car. You have a car, okay? So we ask the Lord for a lot of things. James talks about this in our prayers, not don't pray like the other people do. Don't waste those prayers on yourself, what he says in chapter 4. But the same thing we do is we have to be careful in our conflict that we're we're maximizing what God already gave us. Remember something. The reason God's not answering our prayer all the time quickly is because he's already answered it, but we haven't really surrendered and submitted to it by faith and walked in it. That's the big chasm of thinking. So long-term marital conflict sometimes is misunderstood by asking for healing when God really wants reconciliation. He, he intended for you to humble yourself Go to your spouse and ask for forgiveness. He intended for your spouse to use the grace given to her or him from Ephesians 4.32 to forgive that person like God forgave you in Christ Jesus. He intended for us to function together, you know, horizontally and relationally uh, to solve the problem and trust him bring the restoration and the joy back and, and restore the marriage. But when we're praying, God, I just want you to heal my marriage, that's saying, I want you to do a magic trick. I need a magic trick in my marriage. And God's not into that. He already provided so much on the cross that he's not going to violate the cross and give you more revelation or more power. Just won't do it. So he wants us to learn humility, to reconcile our differences through forgiveness and repentance, and to teach us all these things and dependence on him. So I'm really big on calling it what God calls it so we can get what God gives it. I'm really big on having biblical terminology as we function, so we're not calling sin sickness or sickness sin. Uh, number two on that. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Yeah. What, what are your your benchmarks, if you will, to determine something that's 
listen, that's doesn't need to be unfolded again, un unwrapped again, and it's under the cross versus yeah. actually hasn't been dealt with or it needs to be addressed. Or, in other words, Jane can bring something to me every day and say, hey, you know, yesterday, hey, honey, that's under the cross. I'll bring it back up again. You know, uh, that was yesterday. Today is yeah. a new day. Yeah. I'm saying, I know that's Okay, I'll give you the boundaries. Where do you address it? Where do you say it's? I think the past is to be learned from. I think we we learned how we were shaped in our behavior, what we default to, what our part of our worldview has been shaped with, with some of our past. But it's not to be lived over. The difference is you can you can you can go to it, you can understand it, you can own it. I told you my older kids would call me and tell me how terrible a parent I was. Said, you're not teaching parenting, are you? I said, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beat my brains out. I'm like, oh, well, no. so I said, so what do you think of? Oh no, you're a terrible parent. I said, well, would, would you mind confronting me and exactly what I need to confess so you can forgive me? Then they want to go that far. So okay, so you know I didn't really know Christ. Well, you blame that on you can't blame that on God. I mean, you, okay, I take ownership of it. But what if you wanted you? Why don't you confront me exactly what I did so you so you can forgive me? Well, they don't want to do that. So it's okay. So I still say that I'm not afraid of talking about the past. When I'm when I'm helping people, I got to know the history. That's fine. But when you have a reoccurring situation like this, one fellow is he's that is controlling him. His past. All of a sudden, he's thinking about it. it controls him. It dominates him. Everything he thinks about. So every relationship has to get out of my way. I'm 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 in trauma. I have trauma. Get out of my way. I'm I'm functioning. I'm bumping into people and. Everybody bows down, ducks, and hides around because he's in turmoil. Mm. The turmoil was already forgiven at the cross. And when I made him write down everything that God forgave him when he was 19, those are the same things that haunt him today. Because he could not believe that the blood of Christ would cover that as wretched as it was, even as sinning against him. And so that's the difference. The difference is it's not, it doesn't do anything until it starts controlling or haunting you. You then you got to go back to the cross and try to figure that out because it's still there, but it's not alive. <coughs> what's alive is what's current right now. Remember I always talk about the past uh, was grace that was provided. And, we, and so we, we don't have any, there's no power there. And the past is just history. And so we don't live in the past. You know, Philippians 3.12 comes to my mind. But we don't live in the past we, because there's no power there. It was a history lesson. We learned from it or we did. We saw God's grace in it. We're thankful that we got here today because of the past, whatever God organized. The future, Jesus said, leave because it has its own problems. So there's grace expected, but it's not grace that's active. It's grace expected for tomorrow. But he said, live only for today. The problem is we have today is this. We don't live 24 hours a time. We, only, we live in the past and we live in the future we're anxious that brings anxiety this brings depression mm -hmm. if you can learn to live today 24 hours right now and you get up in the morning and say Lord I want to serve you today by grace give me whatever I need to do today I'm going to thank you and praise you for today and when you're ready to go to bed you say Lord I think I tried to take charge here 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 I confess my independence there my unbelief then you go to bed trusting that he's going to carry you through the night if he wants to you wake up tomorrow, and guess what? You start all over again. And it's illustrated by a friend of mine that's, that uh, stopped drinking. 
He was a secret drummer. And I asked him, I said, how long have you been, after about a month or two, I said, we were meeting counseling, I said, so, how long have you been clean? He said, I've been clean 38 days, uh, four hours and 27 minutes. And he just kind of chuckled. And then my heart sank. Because the counselor, I know that he's in trouble because that's pride. And sure enough, he backslid. And he came back in humble and broken and blah, blah, blah. And so I taught him this principle. And, and so I could call him today, you know, 10 years later, and I could say, hey, how long have you been clean? Guess what he's going to say? One day. By the grace of God. How long have you been clean? One day, today. I'm, I'm faithful. I'm obedient. I'm clean today. It means a lot. Because God never intended for us to live here. He never intended for us to live back there. He only wanted us to maximize our marriages and our our faithfulness today. I don't try to make my marriage good tomorrow. It has its own problems. I'll, I'll deal with that in grace there. God gives us all the grace here. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12, he told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, get away from me. Go away. Stop whining. He's saying, I'm giving you active grace to do what you have to do every day. I'm not giving you grace for tomorrow. It's like manna. We'll give you manna for tomorrow. You get manna for today. And so that's, that's the symbol of grace. And I think that's where we are at in this, is that people forget that uh, how to live their lives and reconciliation rather than just healing. The, the second one was we pray for more power. Um, and that would be for more of those who are not theologically sound. You're praying for more power. How are you going to have more power? We have the Holy Spirit who is power. And the cross is all the power. And so that would be more of a charismatic approach to, to God, that you have little power, more power, and you have a power meeting for God um, so you can accomplish all these great things for them. But really, God provided everything in the power of the cross. Uh, so we just activate that power through obedience. Third thing is marital conflict claims it cannot forgive because of betrayal or unfaithfulness. God provided means to keep you, to restore you, to restore you to forgiveness. You can forgive. Here's the thing about forgiveness. You can, you only, you can only forgive. Now you need to know this because this is a Christian thing. Okay? You have to know this. You only have the ability to forgive at the level you understand you're forgiven. You only have the ability to forgive at the level you understand what Christ did for you. Now you can see that on the cross, and it's great when Calvary's up there. So yeah, there's my Savior up on the hill. That yeah, He died for me. But when you get right up there, and He's gurgling, and your sin marked and scarred Him, and He it was your hand, your, it was your sin He died for, all of them. It's pretty humbling, pretty humbling. And until you understand what grace you were given and forgiveness you provided, you'll never provide grace beyond that. Can't. So people want that. They, they ask, I just need more forgiveness. I'm just praying that God will help me forgive. Um, but God wants us to forgive. And that's an action that we do in real time. See, the, the gospel is active in this grace in our life. It undercurrents everything we do. It's in real time, right now. It's happening. John Piper said, never believe the gospel is something you do to get saved and you leave to go do something else to be stronger. 
gospel is alive right now. It's active right now. We use it right now. It's sanctifying me right now. And so that's what God wants. He wants to restore your marriage using the power of grace and humility and obedience in that process. Number four, the entire cross symbolizes reconciliation. So we must get in the habit of taking everything to the cross. Those are the two fill in the blanks. Reconciliation, everything. Let me give you those three remembers because we're out of time. Two remembers developing a theological constitution and uh, to develop a theological constitution. Here it is. Number one, remember that your spouse's sin is first and foremost committed against God. And it, it poured over, it flowed over, it spilled over on you. Because you're in the, you're in the, that cycle, you're in that relationship. And so you're in that, you know, where she's, she's uh, submitting to me as I submit to God. And, and vice versa, you know, she's submitting me unto God. And so there's a relationship there. But remember, our, our sin, first of all, we're looking at 2 Corinthians 7 about the worldly and godly sorrow. It, it always is about God first. There's no godly sorrow where you don't have a, a reality of sin against God first. So it's easy to, to give more grace. It's easy to understand why you need to give more grace when that sin was directed to God first. Number two, remember to practice living a humble life. A submissive and a humble life. Submissive is a fill in the blank, I guess. Um, and here's it is. You're ready to forgive and willing to repent. That's, is that those other fill in the blank? <coughs> you always get up every day saying, Lord, I'm ready to forgive somebody who's going to hurt me. I don't even know what it is yet. Might not happen. But in your grace, I'm ready to forgive somebody who's going to say something, do something. Somebody's going to hurt me today. I'm ready to forgive because I know you forgave me so much. That's, that's conditioning the heart with the gospel. And I'm ready to repent. Now your now your humility kicks in. I am a sinner, and I need to be, have the reality in my heart and mind that I have to repent at every turn. It's, it's repentance and forgiveness are the two huge things that Christians have to do. And I've heard people say this: you're never more like Jesus until you're forgiven. When you're forgiven, you're most like Jesus. Not when you know the whole Bible. Number three, remember, practice taking everything to the cross. Uh, make the gospel your first stop for problem solving and reflecting. So you should, have, you should be in the habit on the little things. If you're faithful little things, you'll be faithful much. You should be in the habit of taking everything to the cross. Somebody hurts you at work, you're taking it to the cross. If you have conflict, hurt, take it to the cross. And, and look how what happened. What did Jesus do to reconcile this? Then I got to do the same thing. I got to do those things. He's given me the authority and the power and the ability to do those things. But the flesh, we're trying to do it in the flesh, cannot and will not submit to God. Romans 8 7. And so hopefully that helps a little bit close the door on our biblical theology. Okay? Let's pray.